0: A monthly program featuring information on career and academic planning, sponsored by the Rowan University Office of Career Advancement. And now, here's your host, the Assistant Director of the Office
1: of Career Advancement, Ruben Britt. Welcome to Career Talk. I'm your host, Ruben Britt. Author Robert Louis Stevenson once said Don't judge each day by the harvest you reap, but by the seeds that you plant. Our guest today is a reflection of that quote because she continues to plant seeds by inspiring others. Joining us today is Nada Rutherford of the Richland County Coroner's Office. Nada, welcome to Career Talk.
0: Hello, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate being here and uh, I think what you're doing is incredible in highlighting different career fields and showing our youth and even adults what's possible.
1: You're welcome. Now, Nada, what is your position at the Richland County coroner's office?
0: I am the coroner. I am the Richland County coroner. I was elected in 2020 to take the position
1: in 2021. Now, um, can you tell our listeners about your professional career journey?
0: So I have been a nurse practitioner for 15, well, I'm still an active, license-carrying nurse practitioner, board-certified in acute adult geriatric care, and I decided to run for coroner back in 2006. I met a young lady who was in my nursing program who Mm -hmm. was a coroner in a neighboring county, and she would come to class some days in her vehicle and had the lights on it. And I'm like, gosh, you know, what kind of job does she have? She's not a police officer. And so I just started asking her about it. I had never heard of a deputy coroner or coroner. Um, I grew up in an area where education is not, you know, really valued. Uh, certainly not a place where you really dream of becoming much of anything. And I was fascinated and so I asked her lots of questions. I looked into the requirements and I set a 14 year goal. I said that in 2020, I would run for coroner.
1: Wow. Cause that, that was going to be my next question in terms of what motivated you or uh, inspired you to become a coroner. And you've answered that question. Now yes. you indicated that you are a licensed, uh, uh, nursing practitioner. Um, so I, I'm assuming that was your undergraduate degree was in nursing or was it, uh, that, uh, was that a degree pursued later or?
0: No, I actually have uh, two bachelor's degrees, uh, one in biology, the other in nursing. And then I have a master's degree in nursing currently in a doctoral program uh, to receive my terminal degree in nursing. And so I always knew that I was going to do something where I helped the public sector I wasn't quite sure how I was going to do that. I was, I was very, very much ambitious in mm-hmm. my role as a nurse and then later as a nurse practitioner. But the, the career path was certainly not a straight line.
1: <laughs> now, you, you talked about the, the, the degrees that you've achieved. Uh, where did you attend college?
0: I have attended Benedict College in, here in Columbia, South Carolina and the University of South Carolina Upstate and the University of South Carolina Columbia campus. I have uh, certifications from Emory University, the Medical University of South Carolina, and a current uh, student at Jacksonville State University.
1: Now, you you talked about the degrees that you have achieved and, and the, um, where you, you received your degree. Uh, are there, is, are there a particular uh, majors or educational background that's required to work in the coroner's office?
0: No, there isn't. Uh, the state of South Carolina is very different in that regard in that you could be a plumber and land the election for coroner. Kind of interesting position of uh, seeing as how this involves a lot of medical jargon and understanding, but there have been coroners in the state for many decades who have never received any sort of degree in medicine or in anything else for that matter. And they have, you know, had successful careers as coroners. I am the first medical professional in the, in the county who, who has ever been elected. I'm also the first woman and the first person of color uh, to hold this seat in the 173-year hearing. Uh, history of the office
1: now so you you've you've become a trailblazer here <laughs> yes sir <laughs> now can you describe what a typical day of a coroner in- involves
0: so a typical day is me waking up around 3 to 3 30 a.m i review the cases that have happened the night before. The deputies are able to call me if they have any questions. Sometimes I'm in office and then sometimes I'm not. I may be working from home. This is a 24 7, 365, all holidays, all weekends, all everything kind of job. And so I typically will do a review about 3, 3.30 a.m. And then I will get up, I pray. Well, I probably pray as soon as I open my eyes, honestly. And then um, I review the cases. I answer emails. Uh, I batch my emails so that I'm not answering emails all day because that can be very time consuming for me. And uh, I touch base with my admin assistant, my, my, uh, deputy chief, my chief. And then usually around 7 a.m., I'm on mommy duty, cooking breakfast, taking my children to school. And then I'll head into the office or to a number of meetings that I may have, um, you know, just Reaching the obli- the admin obligation that I have as the coroner. And then sometimes I may go on scenes uh, with deputies uh, and then that kind of carries me through my day. Like I said, you know, I could have worked all day, been in the office, went to scenes and then, at 12 o'clock at night or midnight, I may get a phone call that says that we have a child death. So it doesn't matter that I've worked all day, I still have to get up and go to that scene. So um, it it can be very grueling, but I have fun when I can have fun and I work when I need to work. So a typical day kind of looks like like what I just mentioned, but it could be really, really crazy. So I have to take the free moments when I can.
1: Okay, with regards to a typical day, what time you would generally uh, get off of work? What time would you punch out?
0: Uh, there is no punch out. I am on call 24-7-365. Even when I'm on vacation, if this phone rings, I must answer it.
1: Yeah, but I mean, if say if I know you're on call, but if you were, to, when would you generally leave the office? Because you're talking about you, got up at, you get up at 6, 3 o'clock in the morning. And I'm like, yeah. when does she sleep?
0: <laughs> i try i'll just say this i try to kind of decompress around 8:30 p.m okay and my team kind of knows like give me just a few hours um and then if they have questions they'll give me a call but there's very rarely that i get to sleep all the way through the night without any phone calls
1: wow you your, your career is is very impressive what advice can you give to someone who's who's interested in starting a career as a coroner?
0: Well, you'd have to look at the requirements in your state, because not all states have a coroner-based system. Uh, there are 14 states that have a coroner-based system. There are 14 states that have a mix. And then there are, you know, 26, I'm trying to do math in my head, <laughs> there's a... There's a mix on one side, and then there, the remainder of those states have a medical examiner system. And so you'd have to see what your state requires. And if you have a situation where you would like to be a coroner and there's an election to run for coroner, you'd have to, you know, of course, do all the things you do when you campaign, uh, get your name out there. You want name recognition when people go to the ballot, Um and just say what you think you can do. The coroner's race is a, is an interesting one in that most people don't pay attention to it, but it affects every single person in the area that they serve. Mm-hmm. Uh, everybody has a family member who's going to pass away, and the coroner is responsible for making sure that that death certificate has accurate information on it. And I know plenty of cases where I've helped people across the country and they called me and said, you know, the death certificate isn't correct. And I've walked them through, like, how do you seek an amendment? What do you do if something is incorrect? What processes do you need to take? So it's a very big job because often it's it's the piece of paper that stands between someone losing their home or not or someone receiving death benefits or not or life insurance policy. So it's a really, it's a really big job. So if someone wants to do that, I would. They find out the requirements for your state and then position yourself to be able to run based on those requirements.
1: Now you've shared a lot of information in terms of uh, your responsibility. You talked about being on call. What skills, and we, t- we talk about this uh, at the college level, particularly in, in, in the career services where it's important to, to develop new skills, become transferable skills or soft skills. Mm-hmm. What skills that you develop as a college student that, that attribute to your success?
0: I would say that having just really tough skin, um, you have to think I'm giving people the worst news of their life every single day. Um, this is not a job for the week, whether you're a deputy coroner, whether you're the person who's answering the phones in our office, you have to have some pretty tough skin. People react to death in strange ways. That's right. uh, I think we get out daily. Um, but I'll say, I don't think that I learned a skill in college. I think that my life experience of being um, a ward of the state, a foster kid, I grew up in the foster care system. Um, I was homeless at 18, two days after I graduated from high school. I have a tenacity and a resiliency and a strength that most people don't have at my age. And so my ability to be strong and tough is really based on my life experience more so than my college experience. My college experience was unlike other students. I worked, you know, sometimes six jobs in rotation to be able to put myself through school. Um, and so I don't have a lot of like, I don't have a lot of tolerance, I'll say, for people who are lazy, people who are um, who, who do a lot of self-pity. It's like, are you going to work or not? You know, and that's really what this job is. You have to be able to put everything aside that is personal to be able to give the families and the community the grace that it deserves when one of their loved ones die. And so I don't care if, you know. My Like my house flooded. Let me give you a perfect example. My house flooded uh, a couple of, like a few weeks ago, almost a month ago. And I'm living in an Airbnb. And the week that the house flooded, I was on call for like four days straight. I can't call the families and say, hey, sorry, my house flooded. I've got a crisis in my own life. I can't handle this. It's the ability to compartmentalize and to say, I know everything around me may be a mess. But the success of what I want to do is greater than that. The will for that success is greater than everything else going on around me. And so I have to focus and give my best in this moment, and I'll deal with the rest of the stuff later. So I think it's a life skill that I have. Um, I think I learned in college that no one cares about your problems. Like like as a human, I care, right? But when you're on someone's job, no one No one wants you crying over their French fries because your boyfriend broke up with you. No one cares that you don't have enough money to put in your car to get back and forth to to this waitressing job. Are you going to work or not? And if you're not, someone else is going to replace you. So you just have to decide if you're willing to do the work and always I'm willing to do the work.
1: You have a very interesting uh, testimony. Um, That's that sounds uh, book worthy um and Everyone i, say, I say, yeah i I say that because i i know somebody a good friend of mine who um has a, a testimony where you know he was uh raised by his mother, his mother died when he was like thirteen years old he was homeless um you know did a lot of different things you know to um you know stay stay alive and to to find a roof over his head and he ended up um, living with this woman and she had uh, a couple of kids and, and she took him in. And um, as it turned out, she happened to be the girlfriend of uh, Frank Lucas, uh, which is the movie uh, American gangster was based on. Mm -hmm. And, but he goes on to talk about his story, but, he turned out to be, you know, he has a master's. He turned out to be a, a really nice person where sometimes people who are uh, put in situations like that can, can come up with a negative attitude. And, and just hearing your story um, is, it's really profound and, and, and um, as I said before, book worthy. But well, uh, you. Um, the one thing I want to ask you about is, is uh, what was the uh, biggest surprise that you experienced after working uh, in the coroner's office?
0: Honestly, the biggest surprise that I have received is the number of people who look at me and say, you don't look like a coroner. And mm. I think it's so interesting. If I ask you what a chef looks like, you would tell me that a chef wears a hat and a certain jacket, right? Mm-hmm. If I ask what a doctor looks like you say they have on a white coat and maybe a stethoscope and you may not necessarily think of a of a certain skin tone you may not necessarily think of a certain um, idea about what this person's body type looks like or anything like that Um, but what I have realized is that a lot of people and maybe it's just a southern thing they don't women especially black women in roles that are like this so true you know I'm a girly girl I even though I know how to get down and dirty with everybody else I know how to you know I'll flip a body I'll pick one up I you know and and you know knee deep and maggot sometimes and I don't mind that but in my everyday life I am you know makeup hair heels super girly right And people look at me and they say, you know, you don't look like the coroner. And in this role, there's never been anyone that looked like me. And what I say to them is, you know, we'll get used to it. Because this is what it looks like right now. And it may look different in four years or eight years or whenever someone else decides to run. But right now, this is what it looks like. And it comes from men. It comes from women. It comes from Um, people in different, you know, um, racial backgrounds. And so it's always interesting to me, and it's very surprising to me that that's the first thing that people say. Um, And they're still saying it, and I've been in office for three years. (laughs) So I think that was one of the most shocking things. On the professional side, in terms of like the job itself, is the fact that there are no rules about the transition into office. There had not been a transition into our office uh, for the position of coroner since 1958. Wow. The person who was in office died. The governor appointed someone in 1978. Um, And so that person, you know, there was not going to be a transition because the previous coroner was deceased. So he was appointed into a role. He, you know, basically walked in, took care of everyone. I mean, he was in office for almost 30-something years. And then one of his deputies ran against him and was in office for 20 years. But he had already worked there. So in terms of a new person coming in, there were no laws, no rules, no handbook, no nothing about how to transition someone into this role. They have processes for every other elected position. Except for the coroner.
1: So that was super shocking to me. Wow. You're listening to Career Talk. We're joined today by Miss Nada Rutherford. She is the coroner for the Richland County Coroner's Office in South Carolina. We're going to hear more from Nada in just a few minutes, so stay with us. Welcome back to Career Talk. We're here today with Nada Rutherford. She is the coroner for the Richmond Richland County Coroner's Office in South Carolina. And before the Break. She was talking about how uh, this misconception that people uh, say when when they uh, see her because they say that she doesn't look like a coroner. But uh, one of the things that that uh, people need to be uh, and that's lack of exposure, unfortunately, um, that people don't see women women of color in positions like that. Now, in your 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 office in the in, in the Richland. County Coroner's Office, how many employers uh, work there, are employed there?
0: We have almost 40 staff persons. We're the largest coroner's office in the state, and we we just handle more business for uh, the state of South Carolina at the Richland County Coroner's Office. Um, it's a very big office.
1: Now, sometimes you see uh, different organizations, particularly Nonprofit, government, and even in and even in the private sector, they provide they have like maybe uh, educational type programs to local schools or or shadowing programs. Does the Richland County Coroner's Office provide educational programs for schools?
0: We do. So we made history with creating a program called the Coroner Cadet Program. It's a program designed to teach uh, about careers in death investigation at an age-appropriate level. We take students who are grades 9 9 through 12, and they experience everything from toxicology, entomology... Uh, anthropology, anatomy and physiology. They get to hold real human hor- organs in their hands. Um, they create a body form. Uh, they learn about the causes of death and, and the differences in the manners of death. So it's a very rigorous two week program, chock full of learning experiences. And they get to see all of the career fields that touch, uh, death investigation and, and some of the things that happen Kind of uh, am on a preventive side and mm-hmm. things that happen postmortem, so it's a really awesome program. And we're looking for funding. So if anybody knows any opportunities for us, please let me know.
1: I definitely will. I, I I have your number on hand, so I will definitely let you know. Now, one of your degrees is in biology. As a biology student, did you participate in, in an internship? Because one of the things that uh, we try to stress to the college students in particular. Um, is that they need to um, participate in some type of field experience.
0: Yes, and I would, you know, I echo you loud and clear. Internships and volunteering are ways for students to gain access to career fields with experiences, but also with connecting to the the career field by creating this little repository of people that you can call on as you matriculate through your program. So for me, I was a student who went, I went to summer school every summer through the medical university of South Carolina. My first uh, two summers I spent doing, um, a program that was designed to increase the enrollment rate of minorities in the medical field they were obviously successful with that my third summer i spent it doing original neuroscience research as an undergraduate research fellow uh, in the neuroscience department at the Medical University of South Carolina. I competed nationally, academically for those roles, mm-hmm. and I was able to get them. So it doesn't matter where you go to school. Uh, obviously, certain schools have, you know, certain name recognition or prestige, but choose the school that chooses you. Choose a place where you feel most comfortable. Um, and I'll say this. Um, I hope that, you know, you don't kill me for saying it, Uh, but, you know, college is not for everyone, but everyone needs a skill that they can take to do something else with it. So I speak to uh, our youth here in the community and we talk about the different career paths that you can go down. And a lot of our youth in our county are, um, are at a disadvantage from birth, right? They're in lower income areas poverty, you know, well below the poverty line. And so i talked to them about my story and how education wasn't valued in my home, but I had to want something different in order to get out. I could have easily fallen prey to the drugs, the gun violence, and everything else that happened in my community. I could have been the girl that had two or three babies when she got out of high school. And again, nothing is wrong with those things, but you have to decide at some point that you want something different, that you want something better than what you grew up around. And so for the students who are growing up in the hood, like what I did, who, you know, are growing up in the ghettos and the underprivileged areas, you can make it out. But you're going to have to separate yourself from that lifestyle so that you can do something different. And then maybe then you can go back and change the environment Uh, that you grew up in and, and impact that community in a different way. But it takes one of us to get out and then to reach back and bring someone else with us. So students not only need to network, they need to make sure that they are staying in contact with people so that they have people to call on because sometimes the people you grow up with have no idea what it means to put on a business suit. I have no idea what proper office etiquette is or email etiquette. Or if you have a conflict at work, how do you handle it professionally and not like you're on the street? So I could talk about this all day, but internships, uh, connecting, networking, they are vital keys to my success.
1: You work in a field where there are not a lot of underrepresented uh, people. Where underrepresented students tend to, and also uh, we're, Underrepresented students tend to sway away from majoring in careers in the in the sciences. Uh, what can be changed to to change that uh, that trend? What can be done?
0: Well, call on the community and the parents. I'm going to say instead of pushing sports and entertainment on our children, that we promote science and math. The same way that people watch, you know, TV and give their, their kids iPads and cell phones to keep them quiet, have educational programs on there that talk about science and math. Right. Not everything has to be set to a beat. Not everything has to be fun and entertaining. I think that as a society, we teach our children from a very young age that they have to be entertained all the time. Well, you know what? Academia is not entertaining. It can be if you find something you love within it. But we it's like we teach our children from a very young age that if they're not receiving uh, immense pleasure all the time and stimulation all the time, that it's a bad thing and it's boring. Listen, I have two boys and I have taught them how to be bored. I have taught them that it's okay to sit still and be quiet and not have your face stuck in a phone or on an iPad. I've worked with them so that they read books. I don't care what you read, but read something. I make them read the news. So if you're on your cell phone in the morning time before school, tell me what the news is for the day. Tell me what's going on with the hurricane down in Florida. Tell me what the president is talking about. You will not just sit idly by and not utilize the brain that God gave you. And I think that as parents and as a community, we have to push those things. We, we go so hard to put up a basketball goal in a neighborhood why not go so hard and put all your resources together and, and contact Google and say, hey, can we get a coding class here? Can we get a computer lab here? Can we get laptops here? Can we increase the Wi-Fi capabilities here? So I strongly feel that um, as a community, we have to do better about the things that we ask for and where we place value
1: you you hit her right on the nose and my kids are grown but I know and they and they when they were coming up there was you no know, really cell phones and iPads and things like that but the thing about it is is that I always tried to expose him to different things it wasn't uh the 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 typical you know well we're gonna go uh to the movies or see a sci-fi movie or something. No, I exposed them. We we went to science museums. We went to art museums. And I tried to expose them to different things. And then they even took, uh, like, classes, you know, uh, chemistry classes outside of school. Or they took an art class or something to get them, um, to to expose them to the many possibilities. You know, um, I always said, and you talked about um, that not, College is not for everyone, and I there's a quote by Booker T. Washington that talks about how blacks must uh, uh, acquire some type of vocation, meaning mm-hmm. you know have to, must have some type of skill in some form, whether you're going to be a plumber or a, or electrician, or if you, you you plan on going become a a doctor or something. But you have to have some type of skill as opposed to just coming straight out of high school, and it's like. Okay, I graduated from high school. Now what do you do? Um, right. So you were right You were right on point with that. Um, briefly, uh, before we close, uh, is there anything else that you would like to add?
0: I'd like to say for any student who is listening to the sound of my voice, whether you are in middle school, high school, or college, you have a choice every single day to do something different. You can choose to study or you can choose to go to the party. A disciplined person can accomplish anything. And that's not a quote from me. It's a quote from a a very famous coach. Her name is Dawn Staley. She just so happens to coach the mighty Gamecock basketball team here. And she says all the time, the disciplined person can do anything. So when you are thinking about going out to that party and you know you have an exam to study for or a paper to write, be disciplined. The partying, the fun, it will be there in the end. Work, college, like a job. Give yourself set hours and then you can make time for all the things that you want to make time for. But you won't get anywhere in life if you don't have the discipline to do
1: so. Thank you. And now the career tip of the day, the cover letter. When putting the cover letter together, you must stay precise. Don't beat around the bush, make your cover letter precise. Make sure that it tells a recruiter exactly who you are and what you want. You don't want to leave an employer guessing. Always make sure your application is crystal clear as well. I'd like to thank my guest, Miss Nada Rutherford, who is the coroner for the Richland County Coroner's Office in South Carolina for being the guest on the show. You've been listening to Career Talk. I'm your host, Ruben Britt. Until next time, stay positive. And remember, success does not come to you. You go to it. You've been listening to Career
0: Talk, a monthly program featuring information on career and academic planning, sponsored by the Rowan University Office of Career Advancement. Tune in on the first Saturday of every month at 9 a.m. for another edition of Career Talk, only on Rowan Radio, 89.7 WGLS-FM.